Welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you guys for joining the Nine Innings Podcast hosted by yours truly, Kevin Thompson, founder and CEO of Nine Eye Capital Group. Thank you guys for joining us. As I always say, bang, subscribe to the channel. As I always say, go and get my book, MLB to CFP, live on Apple and Amazon. If you have any questions or comments or concerns, email us at info at noticapitalgroup.com. Send us your questions or you can go to the website at www.9icapitalgroup.com. Schedule an appointment. As you know, we're here to do what? Educate, empower, and engage. And today we're here to educate and empower those who are looking to possibly leave the business and those who are looking to get a little bit of insight around financial planning. We have two CFPs on this call today, myself and Dominic Henderson of DJH Capital Management. Today we're talking all things finance. We're talking business. We're talking entrepreneurship. We're talking what it takes to be that guy. Stay tuned. Let's get it. We have Dominic Henderson, founder of DG of DJH Capital Management. Dominic, you're a CFP. You've been in the business. I want to learn a little bit about your business. I want to learn a little bit about your whys and hows and all these different things that, that, that I'm sure you felt in this industry. And by the way, I want to say this. You have a great podcast. You have a you have a great TV personality. Like, I love everything that you're doing out there, man. So let's just start there. Tell me a little bit about DJH Capital Management and, and what got you to start that business? Yeah. First of all, thank you, uh, Kevin, for this platform. And I always love telling my story. And uh, today I'll keep it short. Uh, people that want to see the long version, uh, there's plenty of stuff on online about me. I've been doing this for a while now, like you said. But um at the end of the day, I think uh, I'll start from the end and work my way back to yeah. fill in the blanks. I think if somebody cut me open right now, mm -hmm. I would believe this fact, which is good financial advice. Dare I say great financial advice. There you go. Has the ability. Hey, hey, wait, be careful with that. Be careful with it. <laughs> has the ability to change family trees. I really believe that. And I think everybody deserves that opportunity. So. Yeah. Um, when I formed DJH Capital Management, it was more so of starting that mission. And granted, like I did not know it was going to look like this in 2023. I started in 2016. Uh, four or five years ago, I started making content and it attracted a whole different audience. That was not wealth management people that would work with a CFP or a financial coach. It was people trying to get into the industry. And then I had this aha, uh, thanks to, to Tyler Perry. I think he was at a award show and he said, when you get to a point of success, your job is to hold the door open for others. Gotcha. And I go, wow. So that's why people see podcasts and da da da. And sometimes even get people confused. Like, so are you a financial advisor? Or do you do? I was like, I do both. Like, I'm yeah. a financial advisor. I have clients. I have my own RIA, and I help others step into what their calling is and to who they're called to. So, advisor development, RIA launches coaching, all that kind of stuff, because I feel I have more to give as a steward of the industry by way of knowledge and all this other kind of stuff to the next generation. So they think they'll serve the people they want to go serve versus me just building this real big firm. So uh, that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. 
So I like, and the beauty about these podcasts, especially here on the Nine Innings podcast, we don't know what direction we're going to go because I'm I'm listening. So I'm hearing you talk about launching RIAs. Again, I just launched my RIA. I mean, I've been through that process. I understand the process, but a lot of people don't understand that process and the intricacies. Well, first and foremost, what it takes and the reasons behind it, but the intricacies about, well, the reasons why I did this and this, that, and the other. So tell me when you launched your RIA, first and foremost, like what was the call to action? What was your reason behind it? Uh, transparently, I was at a successful RIA here in Dallas, um, half a billion under management, 600 families. I was responsible for 200 of, of those. Um, and I, I, I was, I had a good life, man. I was making deep into the six figures. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I realized is some of the things that I appreciate right now, uh, as a business owner, which is that guy's name was on the door and like the end all be all of whatever happens with the client's story was on him. And so when you get hot hits like myself, I used to call myself a, a bull in the China shop, uh, having ideas and all this other kind of stuff. That's all great. But dude, how do you fit into the picture in the mission, in the vision of this particular firm? Yeah. And, and, and once that didn't fit anymore, Kevin, it was time to go. Like, honestly, and I respect his hustle for whatever he's done and all the things he built and all the, Stuff. I learned so much there and I'm grateful for that experience. But at the end of the day, I realized you can do this thing on your own. You're not going to poach clients. You're going to start from scratch and you're going to build it, the vision that you see. And, and that's what I did seven years ago. Um, and so I, this is what something I coach advisors on is you, you got to start with a vision. You have to start with what you're trying to build because everybody doesn't need this big 50 person firm, or it, it just depends on what you're trying to do, who you're trying to help, what experience are you trying to have clients leave after interacting with you with? Like, what is all that? Like, get a good picture of that and let's build that. Because, like, at the end of the day, like, we're talking about impact, man. I, I want to have impact. Like, I, there's several ways I can have that. One of those is not growing this big gargantuan firm and having billions under management and stuff like that, because that's just not how I'm wired. But somebody else might be. But get clear on that first. Yeah. And that's what I had to do, too. So, yeah, get clear on what you're trying to do from a vision perspective. From my own vision was, hey, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know how big this is going to get. But I yeah. know that the way my mind is working, my, I'm wired. I'm like, I'm the guy that says, hey, you know what? If we're not doing this, we're being left behind. So mm -hmm. I was at a. Uh, uh, um, a mutual company, one of the mutual companies, and, and I was building out a, a investment advisory business for this agency here in Fort Worth. And hey, DFW, we're holding it yeah, down, man. right? You had to get together. <laughs> I didn't know you was in Fort Worth. <laughs> so uh, I was doing it. and But you know what? In the world of CYA, which you know, you know, it, it, everybody wants to CYA, um, I move really, really fast. Mm. I'm the type of guy that's like, Oh, chat GPT. Absolutely. Let's integrate that into the business. No questions asked. Let's figure this thing out. Right. Ready, fire, aim. Boom. Exactly. Leaving stuff, leaving fires behind me and we're just marching forward. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. But if you're not working for yourself, that doesn't exist. You cannot, mm. you have to fit in this box. Yeah. You have to be, no, this, this is the guardrails. And yep. if you go beyond those guardrails, we're gonna have to have a conversation with you. And that's the reason why I left the business because there's too many conversations I was having because I want to do tax planning. 
I want to yeah. do wealth. I, I want to do estate planning. I want to do things that are outside the box that, oh no, but we, this is what we do. Well, that's yeah. not what financial planning is in my world, you know? So yeah. that's the reason why I left, man. I know that's a little- No, you, you bring up a good point. So, so anybody that's out there, I have this conversation a lot. Anybody that's out there that's in a situation uh, that is less than ideal, uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's look at it from this standpoint. Let's just look at the reality, like not throwing stones, just look at the reality. You, you're, you're licensed, you got a seven, a 66, or six, uh, six and 63, or seven and 65, whatever your combination is. The reality is, if you work for a publicly traded broken dealer, and I'll say it here because everybody knows I say this, then it's publicly traded. So the first in line are the shareholders. Okay. Next in line are going to be the firm stakeholders as the broker dealer. You are, by definition, a registered representative of that broker dealer. That is your technical name. You can say investment advisor, representative, all that kind of stuff, but you're a registered representative of the broker dealer. So you represent the firm's interest, mm -hmm. right? So it, you, it's really hard to see how a client fits into that because they're third in line at best. And so a lot of people, when they realize this, and uh, let's call it you know, the, the way of the world in 2023, you know, the Investment mm -hmm. Advisor Act, that legislation is 1940. It's almost 100 years old. So when people start kind of contemplating that, it makes sense as to why that situation may not fit you anymore. You may have outgrown it. But here's the deal. There's no reason to you know, uh, set the place on fire before you leave. Like leave in a good way. Right. Mm -hmm. If if you can leave in a good way and just go do your own thing, because the reality is, from that standpoint, your client is really third in line, and mm -hmm. it's really hard to serve and be a fiduciary when that's the case. Oh, you hit the nail on the head, third in line, because in my world, it's best interest of the client. Client first, advisor second, company third. Right. That's just my personal opinion, but. And you know, in the other world we lived in, it was flipped. Company first, advisor second, client was last in line. So you're yep. absolutely right from that perspective. So you have your own business. So when you walked away from the RIA, you know, I, I, I believe you said it was in Dallas area, right? The Dallas yep. area RIA. How has owning a business changed your thought process around uh, just, just, just your everyday activities? Like how has entrepreneurship changed your life? Tremendously. Uh, I think one of the probably the biggest lessons is, um, man, there's so many. Uh, I want to be able to bless your audience, though, with with small nuggets. So here, hey, here's the hey, deal. By the way, this is our audience, not okay, just my very, audience, our audience. I, I'm just trying to be a good steward of, of your time and their time. Man, come uh, on, man. I, is... I, I think at the end of the day, entrepreneurship um, does a couple of things for a person. And for me personally, what I realized is the level of discipline it takes when you're responsible for the bottom line revenue. Like mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it, it starts with you and it ends with you. Right. Yes. So if you don't feel like getting up and doing something in that particular day, you're probably going to see the results of that anywhere from 30 to 90 days afterwards mm -hmm. when you make that decision. So it's all about planting seeds every day for what you want to harvest. When you're W-2 or independent contractor, even like it's not so much like that. Right. It, you mm -hmm. got somebody else that could be doing something or whatnot. Uh, and, and I would even say if you're an independent contractor with an uh, 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 independent broker dealer or a broker dealer situation, it, it's kind of entrepreneurish. 
But I'll tell you, dude, dude, like when you get all the other things that are not as sexy as sitting in front of a client talking about their their money, when you're talking about the bookkeeping and the taxes and the compliance and the operations and dude, like yeah. really that those are the those are the bummer things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, you just got to really put your big boy pants on and, and just get after it because that's what that's part of it, too, especially if you decide to go solo like I have. Yeah. So entrepreneurship, I think, builds a lot of things in us. But one of those is the just the perseverance to keep and fight another day. Yeah. And, and, and not to say like, your bank account's low, which it might be. It's just to say, you know, there's a new challenge every day in entrepreneurship, man. Like every day there's a new challenge. <clears throat> and it's like, are you going to go after it? Here's a saying I like to have. It's hard, but I get to choose my version of hard. Like yeah. really I do. That's the coolest thing about entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I like how you say it's hard, but and and I'm not going to say but but and yeah. it's it's hard. But if you love what you do, like for me, I'm a former baseball player and all that stuff. Waking up in the morning, working out, it was hard. Yeah, but I loved it. You know what I mean? So if I love what I do, like some of the great athletes out there, the the Tiger Woods, the Kobe Bryant's, like they were in the gym doing that stuff, not because it was difficult. Yes, it was difficult. But they loved it. Yeah, it's you gotta big love it. Big difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I if think you it's don't... hard to, to your point about the broker dealer, kind of tying this in. Yeah. You know, when you get to a point, a lot of people say, "How do I know when I leave? How's the right timing?" And I go, and I always relate it back to myself, not selfishly, but just to kind of give them a, a picture. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know how hard this is. I was like, starting an RIA. Uh, I was like, starting of just a business is hard. Starting mm-hmm. an RIA, a financial services firm is like getting up, running through a brick wall and getting up and doing it again. Yeah. Because the trust you have to build with managing somebody's money is like nothing you've ever done before. And I go, but I love it. Yeah. Like, I I love it. Like, I I can't describe how I feel when I wake up to say, not I have to do this, but I get to do this. I get to do it. Awesome. I get to do that. So it's like, if you don't have that type of love for what you're doing, because whether your situation and environment you're in, that might be a good sign that it's time to leave. That might be a good sign because you need to love it. Like, yeah. do, do you, really, I'm going to break it down. Like, I, I yeah, break it I, down, I, my friend. I, I, I very well may get emotional around this, but like, um, <laughs> the seat we get to sit in as partners to our clients on their financial journey is like none other. It, it's like, it, it is it is a sacred seat, man. Like you, 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 Kevin, me, Dominique, we get to take someone that is confused or getting and having anxiety or stress around their financial situation. And we get to come to the table with tangible solutions that elongate their life and help them live a more full life. Like, like who else gets to do that besides like physicians? Thousand percent. And I wrote an article previously about have we as financial advisors kind of gotten it wrong in regards to the retirement planning? Now, the reason why I'm saying that, and this is going to get to your point, like we do such a great job of accumulating assets, return, all this other stuff. But the people that I'm seeing in retirement that are afraid to retire, they're not truly afraid to retire because they're already running out of money. They're afraid to retire because 
they don't know what next, what tomorrow looks like. Wow. They don't know what, cause every day is a Saturday. Now it's like, man, I was doing so fine because I had friends at work. Right. I had, I, I could just go to work. I was making good money. It wasn't very difficult and I can just go four or five days, but I know what I'm doing every single day versus how long can I be in the garden? How many, how much, how many holes of golf can I play? How, how many fish can I catch? Right. Dude, you're, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head and I have a story to weave into this. So that what you just described is this person has no identity in retirement. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Yeah. We're all purpose driven. Yes. We can, we can thank our creator, God, for giving us purpose, which is a good thing. Now, what's a bad thing is if you haven't figured it out yet. Yes. Because it can be very scary. I, I remember talking to, it's been a couple of years back. I have a client nearing retirement now. Her husband's mm, 10 or 11 uh, years her senior, and he never gets on our calls. It's just mostly 90% me and her. Yeah. And and he, on his birthday, he gets on a call and just uh, spend some time. And he said, um, they were getting ready to go to a baseball game or something like that. And he goes, Hey, Dominique, you know, I know I don't never hop on here, but I just want to let you know that since you've been working with my wife, um, he didn't say us, he said my wife, he's like, yeah. since you've been working with my wife, um, I've just noticed this level of, of stress and anxiety that she no longer has anymore. Like she's lighter. Yeah. And she's, she, she's just different. And so yeah. I just want to thank you. Yeah. And he left and he got off the college, like beast, you know, it was his birthday or something like that. And I was like, that's one of the highest compliments I've ever been paid, ever. Like our AUM aside, all that fees, all, all that crap aside, at the end of the day, the work that I've been doing with her, that we've been doing together, that we've been partnering to do together, has, I feel, added years to her life of more full life. It's like, if, if we as financial professionals could tap into, A, what that means, and how meaningful that is, not only to the other person, but how that can bring you purpose and stuff. Like, like we would, we would like a lot of the whole fee only versus fee based debate and all this other kind of crap that we talk about in the industry would just really get put to bed and people would just find their, you know, 50 to 75 households that they're personally responsible for and go at it. You you mentioned that. So, I mean, we don't know where this is going to go. And of course, you're on the 980s podcast with Kevin Thompson. And we're talking to Dominique Henderson, DJH Capital Management. So, hey, you mentioned households. I was on a call a couple couple days ago and I was talking to a person. I said, you know what? Like how many households can you effectively take care of? Now, some people are going to say 200, 250. I'm talking about truly taking care of somebody. I'm talking about answering the call when they call, I mean, text messages, whatever it is, truly taking care of somebody. And I think we have that wrong in the industry about taking care of someone. Cause we think we're taking care of somebody by just reaching out to them once a quarter or once a year. No, mm -hmm. truly taking care of somebody. So what's your opinion, my friend, on the number of households that you can, and I'm putting the, the, the quotations up there, <laughs> truly taking care of, take care of, uh, of, of individuals. So I'm going to give you an, an analogy. So let's just say you are, your health is less than ideal. Okay. You're not going to die, but it's less than ideal. So much so that you need to go to a physician. Yeah. And uh, you show up and you're waiting in the office for, you know, your appointments at 830 and he or she walks in around a quarter to nine. So, <laughs> you know, they come in with their clipboard and their stuff and, they're like, all right, check their, you know, ask you some questions and they're on to the next patient. 
That's scenario one mm-hmm. with your less than ideal health condition. Or scenario B, you walk in there uh, at 8.30. They pop in at 8.30-ish and go, hey, Mr. Thompson, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. Man, not so good. Well, tell me more about that. How, what, what's, what's, what's going on with you? Like, so these two different attitudes or postures around what I would call bedside manner. Yeah. Is the answer to that question. Okay. Because I just really don't believe any human has the capacity to do, to do scenario B with more than probably 75 relationships. Thank you. Thank you. So if you feel you can, then go ahead and do it. Knock yourself out. But for someone that has managed more than 200 relationships inside of a firm with a lot of structure and a lot of resources, I'll tell you right now, not only was I burned out, there was a lot of people that I was not touching in the way that I just described in scenario B. I just wasn't. I mean, that's the gosh honest truth. So I, I think there's a there's a level of balance with you know bottom lines and all this other kind of stuff. And, and I think there's structures in which that can happen. Uh, where more than 50 or to 75 clients are being served by a collective, but not by one individual. Yeah. And the way I get around a lot of that is because I, I, I have a sense of how people want to be treated. I have a sense around, well, this person, they're 35. They want to, they want me to reach out to them maybe on a quarterly basis. I send them their month, their weeklies and all the other stuff. I touch mm-hmm. them weekly, maybe touch them with an article or something monthly, but then I have it, you know, have it automated. But at the end of the day, a text message to them like, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Maybe once a month or maybe once every quarter. That's all they would need. But then there's other people that are like, hey, I would like to hear from you on a monthly basis or two every two or three weeks. And of course, you got to give them that. So it's all about well, boundaries. Well, let's interject because you raise a good point that I want to clarify for anybody listening is notice the condition that I described in the analogy where you're not in ideal health. Yeah. There's spectrums of where you are. Now, if, if, if I got a client that's financially healthy, that's like a nine or 10, but they just want oversight. I obviously don't need to give them the type of care that somebody that's a five or six. Yeah. So my the point is, is you're as strong as you are as an advisor. And you answer this question by your most unhealthy type clients. Yeah, that's you. how you answer that question. Awesome. Awesome. So you've been in this for seven years. Um, when I got my CFP, that's when I realized, you know what? it's time for me to make a change because Mm -hmm. my vision was not aligned with the firm that I was currently at because I wanted to provide a level of service and financial planning that could not be provided where I was. So I had to go be that person where I'm, where I'm at now. Yeah. Um, So back to that original question, when you said, what, like, when do you know it's time to leave? Mm -hmm. Well, it could be a designation that you get or, and this, and let's talk about compensation for a second. Yeah. There's a level of compensation. So when you start out in this business, you're going to have the lower levels of compensation. When you start out, you barely make it. You're struggling. You know, there's a 70 something percent chance you're not going to make it for three years. But then you have the other side of the spectrum where the guys are in the business. They've been in business for a long time. And let's just say they're working for a mutual company. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, they can't leave because they have all these trails. So they're tied to the business. So you're either here on this side of the business, here on this side of the business, but there's a spot in here where, you know what, you know, what? it may be a time for you to do your own thing. Yeah. And I know between 300,000, what they call gross dealer concession, 600,000 gross dealer concession, there's a sweet spot in there. You have to start asking yourself or ask the agency you're with, what value are you guys providing me? 
why why am I paying 30, 40% overrides, which is 120, 150, $200,000 for what value? Mm-hmm. And then if they can't answer that question, that's when it says, you know what? I can recoup that two, $300,000 and put that into my own business and save a ton of money back into your pockets to bring better tech and, and, and services to your clients. What say you, my friend, on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with the numbers. Um, I've done several RIA launches and uh, the numbers don't lie. It, it is, uh, typically speaking, the low end of the threshold is a 50% pay increase yeah. by going independent. So um, I had an advisor I worked with last uh, spring that was around the 20, 30 million in assets under management when we did the launch for him. And he's tripled his revenue a year later. So it's, it's, I mean, it's the tangible stuff, but it's really the intangible stuff that sets you on this trajectory where you're like, I didn't even know I can do this because your mind is now free to, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to, to, to to find the most ideal situation to serve your, your prospective client. Right. And that's a whole nother conversation around who you serve and how you find them and all this other kind of stuff that's so constricted and constrained in that world awesome. that you can't even begin to think about stuff. Like it's, uh, I don't know, movie buffs, uh, Bradley Cooper has this movie, uh, uh, Limitless, where like he's this person, but then he takes this pill and his his whole brain just opens up. It's not right. even like new downloads. It's just like the information that's already in there. He has access to 100% of it. Yeah, And so I kind of feel like, the broker dealer world is like that, or you only have access to like 20% of your brain. Yeah. But and, when you go independent, you got like a hundred percent access. It's kind of like that analogy. So it, uh, when you leave is obviously a personal decision, but let me give you some pre-markers. The first one is if you're having like what you said, those conversations, every time you try to do something, somebody's tapping you on the shoulder to say, okay, we don't really do it like that around here. If you're having a lot of those conversations, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, if you're having a lot of sleepless nights, I love my sleep. Yeah. If I don't get my seven to seven and a half hours of beauty sleep, then like I'm not I'm not the same person. But like if you're losing a lot of sleep around just the conflict and the what I would call just, you know, uh, man, you know, like the um, you're just discombobulated is a good yeah. word all the time around this. That's probably a good uh, indication. And then if you ever talk about how you want to grow your firm and grow your book of business and actually put more money in their pocket and they basically <laughs> poo-poo that idea, Yeah, there's another sign. Because usually it's like, they got all the incentive in the world. Like, why would it, like, I'll say you, tell you why I got that. So one of the things, I guess, kind of like the penultimate step with me leaving that other uh, situation I was in is I was like, look, I want to kind of grow as an advisor. How, how would you feel if, if I started to bring in business that, you got the lion's share. Of, we just revenue share. These are people you would never reach anyways. And let me just bring this demographic in. And when he told me no to that, I was like, dang, well, hmm, it's time for me to go on my own. Thousand percent. I Yeah. I, so like when you're having those type of things go on, I, I think that's a that's a sign. That's yeah. Sign. My again, my my was the CFP getting that, of course. But ultimately, when I when I was bringing in new reps for my own team and the rules were changing around compensation. Like, hey, well, you know, my reps are doing this, that, and then, yeah, but we're no longer compensating senior elite, senior advisors on their reps anymore. I'm like, well, that's, 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 when did that change? Oh, we just did that 
that changed last six months ago. I'm like, well, we're, we're, why was I not involved in that conversation? So, yeah, that's when you start saying, okay, these rules and all these stipulations, and I'm putting money in everybody else's pockets. I say, you know what? It's time to go. So you're absolutely right. Um, and another reason why I left is because look at what we're doing right now. We mm. wouldn't be able to do just this and have a conversation without not having, typically. You're right. Hey, yeah. Well, I want to hear. I, I want the transcript of that. I want to know exactly what you're saying, how you're saying, when you're saying it, and we're going to go and scrub everything. And then if we don't like something, we're going to take that out and we're going to ask you to do it again. Just having conversations like this or doing any of the any of the marketing that we do on our platforms, it's not yeah. happening. Yeah. So, you're right. You're but right. so the last thing I want to talk about here is is becoming a CFP. Okay. Um, you know the power and what and what that what that means and what that represents. Yeah. Um, working with CFP practitioners, a lot of people see it as a fiduciary standard, the ethics behind it. So, like, what does that mean to you? And when you got your CFP, like, like, what did that what did that change in your business? Mm. So, um, I'm going to assume this question is centered more so around like, how does the public receive that or perceive that? <laughs> Let's just say that. Yeah, let's just say. Okay, that. okay. Because there are perceptions, and I can break it down to you. Because like, like what break I feel, it down, man. I'm all, I'm, I'm all ears. Break it down, my friend. But, That's what we're Because okay. so what I, I think there's a there's a line that we have to um, bifurcate that question by. And what I mean is, what designations mean from inside the industry versus what they mean to outside the industry are totally yeah. different. Okay. Inside the industry, designations are for us. Yeah. That's it. I mean, there's a lot of evidence around how I come to that conclusion. But the fact of the matter is there's 180-ish financial designations per FINRA's website. Yeah. And it's like, dude, like, come on, it's overkill. Like the, the alphabet soup on behind people's names. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on, like, like how many, how many ways can you call somebody a financial professional? So it's obviously for us, for our egos, for a lot of the other kind of stuff. Now, when you're talking about outside of the industry, um, Yes, there needs to be. So this is all about trust and relationships. So there needs to be a signal that gets sent to the public about who they can trust. Yeah. And so that's the reason why I did CFP, because it was a signal that indicates and connotes trust to the to the public. Um, and there were a lot of choices. Don't get me wrong. But that was the one that I particularly chose. And I think everybody has to make an individual professional decision about that. But make no mistake about it. Many clients are not going to work with you just because of any designation you have or any credentials you have. It's going to go back to the old Zig Ziglar. People won't uh, care about how much you know until they know about how much you care. So yeah. it still goes down that, back to that. So don't get it twisted on that. It is a signal that hopefully sets you apart. I mean, if I want to throw some numbers out, 350,000 people-ish calling themselves financial professionals per Cerulean Associates, yeah. just 90, 91,000 CFPs. Yeah. So that already tells you right there. I mean, like one in four. So uh, one in four, the public is looking at it like this. One in four people are two years and 6,000 hours into this thing versus some people that just wrote on a piece of paper and, and took a test. So yeah. like th there are those things. And I think they're super important. But when you're sitting across a, from a client, a prospective client, what is your empathy level? Yeah. What, what is your... What is your compassion around something that people feel in and make a take somebody that makes a million? I have clients that make like their pay stub says a million dollars yeah. for last year. Like, don't tell me that they're not competent and they don't know what they're doing, dude. Like to make a million dollars, 
Yeah, you like, so mm-hmm. I'm not coming to the table with way more information than them per se. I'm coming to the table with with all the information out there. How do they make sense of it? Yeah, that's a different level. Yeah. And so get all the degrees and certifications if you want. Like, I, I hope that helps you do the latter versus the former. Because if yeah. you just get in there showing like how much you know, that's not going to really take you very far. You so that's my take. Nail on the head again, because this is a trust relationship and it's all built around it. Because I will tell you this, a client will leave you if your relationship is strictly built on rate of return. Uh, you know, because one bad turn, they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to find the next best person or whatever. We're already judged by our last at bat. And I, exactly. I know you appreciate that analogy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to be judged by my last at bat. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right because it's all about trust. And if you build trust, think about it this way. If you have a trustful relationship, that one, two, three, or year or two of negative returns is not going to impact you because they they love what you're doing for them. And by the way, investment advising in regards to just the portfolio is such a small portion of the overall financial plan. That, that really doesn't even matter. Returns, yeah, they're going to come and go, but that's just a small point. It's everything around the plan. And I wish everybody would kind of start understanding that because your negative, oh, 60, 40 is doing bad. So what? But we, we've done everything else on the sidelines where you're already getting your income. You're already, we've already built this, the guaranteed income streams and the estate plans and everything like that. You're good. Go hang out and do what you got to do because- it's going to rebound eventually. But anyways, that's just an aside. I like to get on my 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 uh, my my horse every now and then, man. Your, so, your investment philosophy soapbox? Okay. My, my investment philosophy soapbox. Exactly, man. Hey, so this is a DFW conversation, my friend. I know Absolutely. you're up there in the SMU pony world. And I'm sorry for that that L we threw on you guys last week down here in Fort Worth, the TCU. <laughs> no, but, but, but jaw jokes aside, man. So the last thing I want to talk about here is just this financial planning in general. Like, so we all have some kind of a core philosophy. So tell me a little bit about your firm, your core philosophy in regards to just overall financial planning. Is it risk averse, savings first, two years of savings in a, in a savings vehicle, just in case we have COVID-19 become COVID-20? What say you, my friend? Uh, I think from a, a very top-down macro philosophy, I go, the world is a wash with information, data. Yeah, yeah. In 2023, like there is so much data we can get our hands to and, and, and your prospective client can too. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. So we are not, we're no longer the arbiters of data and knowledge. Uh, and so I like to say my philosophy on financial planning is how do I help a particular person take their limited time and money and spread that across unlimited choices? So we always start with what's most important to you. If you were gone tomorrow and you had all the money in the world today, but you're going to be gone tomorrow, how would you spend your last 24 hours? I'm asking questions like that. Yeah, I like it. Because that gets to, you know, hey, man, you know, I I need to save $7 million for retirement. Okay, so why? Well, because, you know, I, I'm tired of working for the man, you know, like it, it's time my day. I want to pay, play some golf. OK, but why? Well, my, my my parents are aging and I really want to spend more time with them. Well, shoot, you don't need seven million dollars to, to, to do that. If you want to spend more time with the people you love, we could create a plan for that. 
So it's like getting to that third level of why people are wanting to strive for whatever they're they're wanting to do. Uh, Blue Fishing by Steve Sims is a great book that where I got that framework from. So it's really incorporating a lot of that. You know, to be honest, man, around financial planning, some of my best advice does not come from CFP curriculum or any of the books I've read. And a lot of those on the back shelf I have read, no brag is just what it is. It's just that it comes from life. It comes from being married to the same woman for 26 years. It comes from raising three adult children. Like a lot of those things and anecdotes that have come from that experience comes out in my planning, which is the reason why I tell career changes and aspiring financial professionals, if you can go get some experience, go do some life. It doesn't even really have to be in this field. Then you have something to give because that's what this is about. It's financial services. Take out that, that root word and services is servant, serve. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Don't get that. Don't get that part twisted, man. That's important. It's really important. So that's kind of my philosophy. Well, I appreciate having you on the 90s podcast, my friend. This has been a yeah. valuable, valuable episode. Absolutely. Thank right. you, Dominique, for right. joining us, my friend. I, hey, I've been wanting to do this for a while, man, because I love your content. I love your personality. Vice versa, man. Vice versa. And, and you know what? One of these days we'll, we'll get up, we'll meet up in person, my friend. So thank yes, you for joining absolutely. us. Thank you. And hey. Uh, shout out your uh, shout out your contact real quick. Shout out how can how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, uh, across all platforms, um, you can find me either at the Jumpstart Coaching Lab, which is my consulting firm on the side of my RIA where I help advisors develop. Spend a lot of my time there, or Dom Henderson SR, as in Dom Henderson Senior, all across social media. Uh, uh, check me out on the YouTube channel, like where, wherever your heart's content, wherever platform that you like, I'm probably on it. So. Yes, the mode is big and we all rise together. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for having me. Hello, you. That's just in the Kevin Thompson here on the 90s podcast, hosted and sponsored by 9i Capital Group. Thank you guys for joining us. As I always say, subscribe to the channel. As I always say, go and get my book, MLB to CFP, live on Apple and Amazon. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at info at 9i capitalgroup.com. Send us your questions or go to the website at www.9icapitalgroup.com. Schedule an appointment. As you know, we're here to do what? Educate, empower, and engage. And today we had Dominique Henderson from DJH Capital Management here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Great commentary. We talked a little bit about CFPs. We talked about just life. We talked about going to an going becoming your own RIA. Great commentary. Stay humble. Stay safe. We'll see you again soon.